Well, you guys are in for a great blessing. And at risk of not being too slobbery and everything and, you know, being... Uh, being uh, accused of like being in a, a, a you know guruism or something, I'm just really happy to have Benjamin Corson with us this morning. He's a 28 year old young man. He's has a beautiful bride. He comes from a wonderful family. His father is one of the great Bible teachers in our generation, John Corson. You can get his commentaries. Um, and a beautiful mother, beautiful family. He is a uh, mostly he's a Christian, he's a son, but he's an author, and uh, his radio program is heard all throughout our country. And I just believe he's one of the great voices, young voices in our generation, and man, we need a whole lot more. Can I hear a big amen? I mean, no, next generation, may God raise up a bunch of young men like Benjamin. So let's give Benjamin Corson a nice warm welcome. Benjamin? I love this guy, man. Can you stay up here for just a second? So um, Greg has been a big mentor for me. And the Bible says, we're just not, we're not having a slobbery exchange right now. Uh, But the Bible says, give honor to where honor is due. And this guy is a titan. He's a kingdom warrior. He's an epic Bible teacher. And he's just an awesome guy. So can we just take a moment to pray for our pastor, Greg, together? And also pray for the, the Bible study today. Lord, I thank you for our pastor, Greg. I thank you for the friend that he has been to me. I thank you for all those kids that responded to his invitation last night when he shared the gospel and all of those kids who came forward to grow in their faith and just the incredible message you gave him last night, the incredible Bible class about the feasts and Israel this morning and the epic Bible teacher that he is in our day. I pray that you would continue to just take our pastor Greg from glory to glory and strength to strength. Thank you for him. We love you and we pray this in Jesus name than all God's people said. Amen. 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 We love you, Pastor. So um, thank you for letting me hang out with you guys. I was, was anybody here, if you remember, one year ago when I was here last, was anybody here? Okay, cool. So we have some, some people that we're getting to share a one-year reunion with. And um, I'm going to share with you probably the message that I'm most passionate about right now. And it's found in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. So if you would turn there at this time, that would be awesome. And and while you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How many of you have heard of, of Johnny Cash? Would you raise your hand if you've heard of Johnny Cash? The famous country singer known for his single, Walk the Line. How many of you have heard of Bob Hope? Does anybody remember Bob Hope? Famous TV personality, comedian. How many of you have heard of Steve Jobs. Yes, of course, you've all heard of Steve Jobs, the maker of your iPhone. Well, you know, these guys were all contemporaries. The Titans trod the earth in, um, in, as contemporaries simultaneously. They, they were all alive 20 years ago. 20 years ago, we had Johnny Cash, Bob Hope, and Steve Jobs. Now we have no cash, no hope, and no jobs. Please don't let Kevin Bacon die. Just saying. Maybe you came to church today and you're like, Ben, I have no cash. I have no hope. I have no jobs. And I didn't even get my bacon this morning. Did you come here with a lack of hope? You know what I'm passionate about? Everywhere I go, this is what I want to do. I want people to have hope 
When I teach, I say, you might not like what I say, but you're going to have a good time. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't say, I have come to suck the life out of you and give you death more abundantly. What did he say? I have come to give you life and that more abundantly. The Bible doesn't say in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of boringness. And at his right hand, there are bummers forevermore. What does it say? In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures that don't leave you with a hangover the next day. (laughs) Pleasures forevermore. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 15, 13, now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. When people ask me, Ben, what God do you worship? I say, I worship the God of hope. Romans 15, 13, theologically accurate, totally philosophically sound. I worship the God of hope. Friends, we were meant to have sacred optimism, Jesus, joy, and holy happiness. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The Bible says happy are those people whose God is the Lord, whose hope is found in the God of Jacob, who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. The Bible says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above all his fellows. The Bible says that the common people heard Jesus gladly. So too, we were meant to have hope when we walk with the Lord. Would somebody please say amen to that? Because you know what my Bible says? That he turns sorrow into joy. He turns mourning into dancing. He gives the garments of praise in exchange for the spirit of heaviness. The Bible says he gives beauty for ashes. The Bible says weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The Bible says those who sow in tears will reap in joy. In fact, this is wild. I I just found this out a few months ago. But did you know the reason the Bible was written was to give you hope? Now, now I've studied the Bible my entire life. People say, what seminary did you go to? And I say, "Uh, John Corson Household Seminary. I grew up with a pastor as my dad, so he was always just telling us scriptures all the time growing up. But for some reason, it never hit me um, that according to Romans 15.4, the Bible was written to give you hope. I'm going to quote it to you. Now these things that were written, Romans 15.4, now these things that were written were written for our learning that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, and I quote, we might have hope. Paul says the reason the Bible was written was to give us hope. And that's what I want you to have today. I want you to, I want you to have hope. Guys, we gotta, we gotta think about what we're thinking about. You have 50,000 thoughts in your brain every day. 50,000 thoughts every day. And so I've gotta think about what I'm thinking about because if I sow a thought, I'm gonna reap an action. And if I sow an action, I'm gonna reap a habit. And if I sow a habit, I'm going to reap a character. And if I sow a character, I'm going to reap a destiny. But it all traces its genesis back to how I'm thinking. Because what you think is what you say, and what you say is what you do, and what you do is what you become. It all depends on how you think. So the Bible tells us to think about whatever is true, noble, lovely, just, pure, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Philippians 4, 8. We're we're to think about what we're thinking about. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you 
We've got to keep our mind in a place of hope. Like, like the Bible says we're to meditate day and night on the law of God. Now, Eastern meditation is about getting toxic thoughts out of your brain, but Hebrew meditation is about giving healing thoughts into your brain. It's not negative nirvana, it's proactive shalom. We've got to think about what we're thinking about because outlook determines outcome. So when your outlook gets bleak, you've got to try the up look. Because if you change the way you look at things, things will change the way they look. As the very wise pirate of the Caribbean, Captain Jack Sparrow, as played by Johnny Depp, would say, the problem is not the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem. Because a bad attitude's like a flat tire. You can't go anywhere until you change it. And so my heart is, my heart is, is that after this Bible study's done, man, you would have a mindset of hope. How can we not have hope when Jesus says, as his teleologic self-proclaimed manifest destiny mission in Luke 4.18, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus, why did you come? Luke 4.18, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me so that I could heal broken hearts. The Bible is written to give us hope. He is the God of hope. How can we not have hope when the Bible says Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Emmanuel, Messiah, the Prince of peace, the Son of God, the bread of life, the light of the world, the way, the truth, the life, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the door for his sheep, the shepherd who lays down his life for his lambs, the vine who gives fruit to his branches, the word of God made flesh, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the resurrection and the life. Shall I go on? the prince of the kings of the earth, the amen, the root of David, the man-child, the beginning of God's creation, he who wields the bright and morning star, he who holds the double-edged sword, the captain of our salvation, the image of the invisible God, and the anchor of hope, according to Hebrews. His name is Jesus Christ. Would somebody please say hallelujah? Sorry, you just got me excited for a second. but So when you walk with him, man, how can you not have hope? It's like, I know that the enemy's constantly trying to put doubts in your head. He's been doing it since day one in the book of Genesis chapter three. So he's trying to put doubts. Is God really good? Did God really say that you can't eat from that tree, says the serpent? Can God be trusted? And the enemy's always trying to put the question mark in your head, doubt in your mind, is God good? But always remember, a question mark is just an exclamation mark Bent out of shape. And whenever he puts a question mark in your head, you got to turn that thing around and turn it into an exclamation mark. And you've got to say, my faith has never been dictated by my circumstances, but rather my circumstances will always be dictated by my faith. Come on, baby. Because when we walk with God, we have hope. Check this out. Um, one of my favorite titles for Jesus is in Colossians 1.15. We're going to get a little deep, plumb the deeps for a second, then we'll emerge back up to the surface in a moment. But, but this gives me so much hope. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, okay? He's the image of the invisible God. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, right? Have you ever seen a kid? Who, in fact, I was just watching this right now. Watching Pete and watching Greg up here, 
I was just amazed at like how DNA works and how you guys are both very handsome blokes and you are in kind of the spitting image of your father. Have you ever heard that phrase? Oh, that boy is in the spitting image of his dad. And you know that Pete is Greg's son, right? You can just tell by looking at him. That's what Jesus was saying. I look just like my dad. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Colossians 1.15, he's the image of the invisible God, meaning Jesus is in the spitting image of his daddy. If you want to know what God looks like, you've been groping in the dark, you've been searching to find who God is. If you want to know what God looks like, just look at me. I'm in the spitting image of my daddy. Watch me forgiving prostitutes. Watch me holding babies up in my arms. Watch me die on a cross. That's what Abba looks like. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. Spitting image of his father. But this is where it gets cool. That word image in the Greek language is the word icon. Would everybody please say out loud, icon. E-I-K-O-N. That word icon. Back in Greek culture, because remember Paul wrote that text in Greek, it meant portrait. So you could translate that Jesus is the portrait of the invisible God. But that word icon is, listen, follow me, the nearest ancient Greek equivalent to our word for photograph. So as a 21st century American millennial, you could translate Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the photograph of the invisible God. That's what the word icon means. Portrait back in Paul's day, photograph in our day. Jesus is the photograph of the invisible God. Now, Jesus, photograph of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know that he's the God of hope? Just look at me, baby. Jesus, photograph of God. Remember when Jesus was crucified? Something happened to the sky when Jesus was at the place of the skull, crushing the skull of the serpent. When the king of kings and lord of lords put death to death so we don't have to be scared to death of death. When Jesus died on the cross, something happened to the sky. Does anybody remember what happened to the sky when Jesus was crucified? Say it out loud. It turned dark. Jesus is the icon of God. What does the word icon mean? Present day language? Photograph? The photograph of God developed the most clearly in the dark room of Golgotha. Remember, photographers, before the age of digital technology, if you wanted to develop a photograph, where would you take it? Dark room. Jesus is the photograph of God. Where was he crucified? In a dark room. The sky went dark, and that's when the picture of God developed the most clearly. God, who is love, demonstrated himself. He demonstrated his love, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, and Jesus says, God loves you this much. And it was in the dark room that the photograph of God developed the most clearly. Why am I telling you this? Because so too, for you, life is like photography. We develop from the negatives. You picking up what I'm throwing down? Jesus, photograph, icon of God, develops the picture of God who is love most clearly in the dark room when the sky goes black. So too for you, life is like photography. We develop from the negatives. Why? Because we know that our father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear. 
So Jesus, spitting image of his father. Let's take a look at who this father is. If, if God is the God of hope and he's also our father, let's consider his nature together so that we can just go our way with so much hope. Take a look at Galatians chapter four, verse six with me as we um, have a hope Bible study today. Paul the apostle, inspired by the spirit, writes this. If you're in Galatians four, verse six, would you please say, Abba, and I'm not talking about the band from the disco era. Take a look. And because you are sons, Galatians 4, 6, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now that word Abba is the Aramaic word for father. It's expressive of an especially close relationship to God. It's like a double expression. We call God father, father, as some of your translations say. Now, now the reason this text gives so much hope to know Jesus is the spitting image of his father, and so too we get to call God father, and our father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear. The reason why this gives so much hope is because what you have to understand about the historical context and backdrop behind this text is that Paul the Apostle was writing something that was subversive, iconoclastic, innovative, revolutionary, and totally new. Nobody in Paul's day thought of God as father. Like, you remember the Greeks, they worshipped Zeus, and Zeus, so far from being a good dad, um, if you upset him, he might hurl a lightning bolt at you for all you knew. Or he might pin you to a rock in the middle of the Adriatic Sea and send a vulture to eat out your liver and cause your liver to grow back. And then he'll send the vulture to eat out your liver again and cause your liver to grow back. And then send the vulture to eat out your liver for the rest of eternity if you're Prometheus and you stole fire from heaven to warm mankind. Or if you upset the gods, for all you knew, like Sisyphus, the son of the wind, you might have to roll a boulder up a hill, and the boulder will roll back down again. Or you might have to roll the boulder back up the hill, and the boulder will roll back down. And this process will repeat for the rest of eternity. Basically, the gods were not very nice. Furthermore, even in Hebrew Judaism, the Jews didn't primarily look at God as father. In fact, do you remember Manoah, who was to be the father of Samson? In Judges chapter 13, verse 22, Manoah, after, visited, after being visited, pardon me, by a strange guest, he said, we have seen God and must surely die. The Jewish people believed that if you saw God, you were going to die. Only the high priest, the son of Aaron, once a year on the day of atonement was allowed into the Holy of Holies to experience the Shekinah Kabod glory of God. But if you were not a high priest and it wasn't the day of atonement, you were not allowed into the presence of God. So here's Jesus. He comes onto the scene and he says, when you pray, pray our father. Now the Jews hear that and they're like, are you cuckoo for your Cocoa Puffs? Do you have smog in the noggin? Are you loco in la cabeza? If we see God, we're going to die, and you're calling him daddy? Jesus says, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
He says, you earthly dads know how to give good gifts to your kids, but how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit and good gifts to those who ask? Jesus says, your father knows the number of hairs on your head. The average blonde has 145,000 hairs. The average brunette has 120,000 hairs. The average redhead has 90,000 hairs. Jesus says, your father counts everyone. They're like, really? Like we can call God daddy? That's unheard of. We're so used to calling God Father that we forget how much hope that brought to first century Greeks and Jews. In Greco-Roman and even Hebrew society, this was totally new, totally fresh, a brand new idea. And then, listen to this. Remember how the high priest was only allowed into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement? He could go behind the veil to experience the weight of God's glory. When Jesus was crucified, the photograph of God developing in the dark room, not only did the sky go black, but the Bible says in the temple, the veil, what happened to the veil in the temple? Torn from bottom to top or top to bottom? Why? Because the father is the one tearing it from up above. Back in Jewish culture, if a Jew was sad, he would rip his garments, kind of like Cam Newton. (laughs) After he gets a touchdown, you know, Superman rips his garment. Jesus, the Superman, causes the veil in the temple to be rent. The father is saying, I'm grieving, I'm mourning that there is ever a barrier between my heart and my people, and I'm ripping my garment in mourning that there was ever this barrier. And now that Jesus is crucified, I'm saying, open house, come boldly to my throne of grace. Who's your daddy? I'm your daddy, says God. Would somebody please say hallelujah? This is good news. (laughs) There's a reason this is called gospel, man. It really is good news. I didn't come here to preach the blues, man. I came here to preach the good news. I'm pumped about this. (laughs) Come boldly to my throat of grace. Daddy says, open house. Now, now that's a lot of theology. We've studied a lot of history and scripture. But how does this give me hope today? How does this give you hope today on a practical level? Romans 8.15 tells us how this affects us practically. In Romans 8.15, Paul would use this exact same sobriquet and moniker for God when he wrote, We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Same exact phrase. Did you hear Pete singing that? Beautiful couple singing this song, the nearlyweds singing this song a moment ago. I am no longer a slave to fear. Why? Because I am a child of God. That's totally theologically from Romans 8.15. I don't have the spirit of fear because I have the spirit of adoption by whom I cry father. In other words, I can't have fear if I have father. I can't have fear if I have father. I can't have fear if I have father. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry father. Fear and father are mutually exclusive because the father is love and perfect love casts out all fear. Because God is your father, no matter what hardship we're going through today, we have nothing to be afraid of. Why? Because think about it. If the God of the universe who created blueberries, which taste like hope feels, the God who created hummingbirds that fly in reverse, the God who created Gen 2 penguins that can swim 22 miles per hour, 
The God who made little blue penguins that are 16 inches tall and can fit inside your pocket. The God who made emperor penguins that are four feet tall, really chubby, wear tuxedos and slide on their bellies. If the God who made anglerfish that have light bulbs 2,880 meters below sea level. If the God who made the stars and waterfalls and cataracts and rainbows and beautiful wifeys and the God who created all the heavens and the earth, if that God says, who's your daddy? I'm your daddy. It's like, what do I have to be afraid of? The God of the... Come here. The God of the universe is your daddy. Is that not a game changer? What do you have to fear when you call him father? Are you, are you sad, depressed? Do you lack hope today? Turn your cares into prayers. Turn your stresses into supplications. Worship more than you worry. Praise more than you panic. Because the God of the universe is your daddy. What kind of life would you live if fear wasn't a factor? If impossible seemed more like a dare instead of a declaration. What if every time somebody said, that's impossible, you said, I don't look at that as a declaration. I see that as a dare. So thank you for telling me that was impossible. I see the word impossible as a dare instead of a declaration. Because I'm going to let all my reasons not to fear outnumber my reasons not to try. It's not the power of darkness that's to be feared. It is fear that gives power to the darkness. So I'm going to take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the shield of faith, which can quench every fiery dart of the wicked one, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, fight a good fight, wage a good warfare, put to flight the empire of evil, do a dent in the kingdom of darkness, and go hunt some demons, because I have the God of the universe who's my daddy, and the battle is not mine, but the battle is the Lord's. So even if I have no cash, no hopes, no jobs, and no bacon, I'm going to have hope, because the God of hope is my daddy. Speaking of, uh, speaking of bacon, um, speaking of bacon, <laughs> if I don't believe God's my father, I'm going to be scared of everything, conversely. Like, I'll be eating bacon and I'll say, God, there's a hair in my food. God says, Ben, you're eating bacon. There's a pig in your food. That's what you're worried about right now? But when I believe God's my father, man, I can be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, I can let my request be made known to God in peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard my heart and my mind through Christ Jesus. And he's a good, good father. Are we singing that song after the teaching today? He's a good, good father. That's who he is. A good father is somebody that you look up to no matter how tall you grow. A father is somebody who carries pictures where his money used to be. He used to have money in his wallet, but now he has pictures of his kids upon whom he spent all his money. So now he has nothing in his wallet except for pictures of those kids who made him broke. That's what the father is. He gave everything for you. From riches to rags, he gave everything for you and everything for me, and that's how loved we are. But, but you might say, Ben, does he listen to me? Like, is, is the God of the universe really my daddy? I mean, there's billions of his kids around the world, so how, how do I know that he's listening to me? Well, notice what our text says, Galatians 4, 6. We, we cry out, Abba, Father. 
This is a prayer that we pray, just as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, we cry out to Abba Father. We get to talk to Abba Father as as though he were an earthly dad, although he's the king of the universe. And God listens when you cry out, Abba, Father. God listens. He's tapped into souls like the FBI is tapped into phones. He's listening. (laughs) And God answers an email. I don't always answer my emails as quickly as I should, but God answers my emails each and every time. So why would I wish upon a star when I can talk to the God who created it? See, but Ben, my star sign bodes ill. I'm a Pythes. The future is bleak. Why are you mixing astrology with your Christianity? Why would you need to know your star sign when you know the creator of the stars themselves? Amos says, seek the one who made the seven stars and Orion. Amos chapter five. God is father. You say, but Ben, 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 the reason I'm lacking hope is because I'm, I'm the prodigal son of my father. I failed him. Do you ever feel like you failed Father, I do, man. I fail him all the time. If you feel like a failure here today and that's why you're lacking hope and you think your father couldn't love you, can I tell you that when I was in eighth grade, I failed big time. I was, I was playing basketball for the South Medford Generals. And let me tell you, I was terrible. The first play of my eighth grade season, I scored for the wrong team. I'm not lying either. I scored for the wrong team the first play of the season, and I was terrible. I was always dribbling the ball off my feet. I was always falling on the floor. I was giving the other team points. I was making it harder for my team to win. But at the end of my eighth grade season, me and my buddies, we ended up being the champions of our local AAU district. We played our our rivals in North Medford in the championship game, and we won. And we got to wear these fake gold medals around our necks. We were number one at the end of the year. We were champions, and I just felt like I was the man. I just felt like I was bomb.com. But really, just between you and me, I made it harder for my team to win. I gave the other team points. The reason we were champions is not because I was good. It's because we just so happened to have a really good kid on our team that year. We had this kid on our team that year named Kyle Singler. Now, Kyle would go on to play for South Medford High School, and he would win a state championship against Kevin Love. Then Kyle um, got a full-ride scholarship to Duke University and played for Coach K for four years. Then Kyle ended up winning a national championship with Duke University and became final four player of the year and got his picture on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And then Kyle got drafted to the Detroit Pistons and became second team all-NBA rookie squad his first season. And recently, Kyle was traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder and now he's making $5 million every year as an NBA professional basketball player playing on Kevin Durant's team. He was on my team. Do you see why we won? Not because I was good. We just so happened to have Kyle on our team. A few years ago, I ran into my coach and I said, wasn't it awesome when we had Kyle on our team? He said, oh yeah, our whole game strategy was just give the ball to Kyle. (laughs) Ben, you're going to give the other team points. You're terrible. Immediately when the ball gets in your hands, you pass the rock to Kyle. And suddenly, as long as I keep the focus on Kyle, I am more than a conqueror through Kyle Singler who overcomes North Medford. 
In the same way, that's how your father is. Check this out. That same chapter, Romans 8, that says we don't have fear because we call God father, also says, what shall we conclude from these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? In the analogy, God's like crossing people over, breaking ankles. He's all wet, splashing his jump shots. He's dunking all over people's faces. And I say, Abba, Father, can I be on your team? And he says, what shall we conclude from these things? Here's the gold medal around your neck. Not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. Not because of how great or terrible you might be, but because of whose team you're deciding to be on. You are more than a conqueror through me who has overcome the world. So what shall we conclude? If Abba's for you, who can be against you? I might fail, but God's love never fails. And that's what counts. And God has never failed anyone. And he ain't going to start with me. So it ain't about how high I climb. It's about how high I bounce back when I hit the bottom. (laughs) Oh man, that's who Abba is. And besides, like even in the Bible, like I fail all the time spiritually too. I mean, even in the Bible, it gives me so much hope how how the greatest Titans we venerate were also the biggest failures. And I'm going to draw to a close here in a sec. Um, Moses had temper problems. Elijah was moody. Noah got drunk. David had an affair and killed somebody. Jonah went in the opposite direction God called him to preach in. Paul tried to kill and even imprisoned Christians, and Peter denied the Lord three times when a little girl peer pressured him. So, I'm in really good company then, I guess. You're in really good company if you feel like you fail. The same is true in history. Um, did you know that? Did you know that Beethoven was told by his music teacher that he was a hopeless composer? Did you know that Abraham Lincoln lost an embarrassing eight elections, couldn't get into law school, failed at business twice, and had a nervous breakdown before he became our sixteenth president? Did you know that Thomas Edison was told by his school teachers that he was too stupid to learn anything? Did you know that Vincent van Gogh sold a total of one painting in his entire life called The Red Vineyard just months before he died? He sold one painting in his entire career when he was living. No wonder he chopped off his ear. Did you know Harrison Ford was taken into an executive's office after his first small movie role and told he would never make it in the movie business? Tell that to Chewbacca. Did you know that Winston Churchill failed sixth grade? lost every public office role he ran for before he became prime minister of Great Britain at the age of 62? Did you know that Dr. Seuss, his first book was rejected by 27 different publishers? And Walt Disney was fired. Walt Disney, Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor because he, and I quote, lacked imagination and had no good ideas. So if you feel like you've failed, success is not final and failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue on that counts. I might be a failure, but as long as I pass the ball to God, as long as I keep my mind and my focus stayed on Abba, I become an over-overcomer through him who has overcome the world at my behest and on my behalf. We may fail, but God's love never fails, and that's what counts. So, friends, may you go your way with hope. Whether you've failed, whether you've lost cash, whether you've felt like God is far away, whether you've 
felt like you've been in a waiting season, no, no matter what you're going through today, I want to tell you, man, that life is like a piano. The white keys represent happiness, and the black keys show sadness. But as you go through life, remember that black keys make music too. Zephaniah 3.17 says that God rejoices over you with singing. And Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's masterpiece in the Greek, his poema. That means his poetry. Today, your Abba with angel pipes is singing over you. You are his poetry in motion. And he's working together the black keys of your tragedy to produce a euphonic orchestral symphony. My favorite songs always include the black keys. That's what tugs at the heartstrings. The same is true in your life. The black keys of your tragedy, even what the enemy means for evil, God works together for the good. And you're going to look back over your life and you're going to say, you are the divine conductor. You sang over me, your poetry in motion, poema, working together the black keys of my tragedy to produce this symphony. So friends, no matter how dark your night might be, no matter how deep your valley may sink, no matter how formidable the grave may appear to be, even when the stars are swallowed by shadows and even when the sun refuses to pierce the thunderclouds through trials of fire and storms of water, through dark days of despair and dark nights of the soul hope in Abba we might fail but God's love never fails so don't tell your God how big your mountain is tell your mountain how big your God is and when life puts you in tough situations don't say why me just say try me because I've got Abba fighting battles on my behalf and if you feel broken today let me tell you that Father is fighting on your behalf so just relax and sit back back because every setback is a set up for a come back and just because you're going through hell doesn't mean you have to smell like smoke we might be at our ropes end but we are not at our hopes end we might be knocked down but we are not knocked out we might lose a battle but we ain't gonna lose the campaign because if Abba Father be for us then who can be against us let's pray together Father we love you so much you're so good we thank you that we no longer are slaves to fear, but now we call you Father, the God of hope who created the scriptures in order that we might have hope. You have endowed us with sacred optimism, Jesus' joy, and holy happiness. So help us to remember that just like the photograph of God developed in the dark room of Golgotha, so too life is like photography for us. We develop from the negatives. We thank you that you are the God of hope. And I pray that today we would remember that the struggle is real, but so is God. And while life is tough, God is tougher. So you're a good, good father. That's who you are. And we're kids of the king. That's who we are. And we want to go our way rejoicing today in Jesus' name. Amen.